This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. I'm Charles Payne. I'm Kat Timpf. I'm Stuart Varney. And this is the Fox News Rundown. Wednesday, January 31st, 2024. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. Imagine your boss telling you it's so dangerous outside the office, you shouldn't go out to lunch in the middle of the day. It's happening in one of California's biggest cities. Downtown Oakland is not safe anymore. It's a complete night and day since the progressives have taken over and destroyed the city. I'm Dave Anthony. It could be a scientific and medical breakthrough. A brain implant that Elon Musk hopes we could all benefit from someday. The big advance is they implanted it in a human for the first time. And that human appears to be recovering well. And I'm Arnon Mishkin. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. This week, the largest employer in one of California's major cities issued a memo telling its employees to stay inside once at work at the downtown location to bring lunch with them or have it delivered. A memo from Kaiser Permanente in Oakland was obtained by Fox affiliate KTVU, and it also tells workers outside the office not to hold meetings downtown. It's just kind of scary in general, not even just to go to work, but just kind of coming outside. Arielle Crenshaw works for Kaiser in Oakland, and she told KTVU. I do agree. Yeah. Because just their safety for their employees, you know, um, if you can work at home, work at home. If you have to come in, just be safe about it. In a statement following up on the reporting, Kaiser said some who work in their offices were victims of the current wave of armed robberies, vehicle thefts and related crimes, as they put it, that they're committed to the city and work with city leaders on how they can address issues relating to crime and support the city, that they still encourage employees to support local businesses as well. But some, like Mauricio Torres, who owns Molcajete Cocino downtown, say that memo sure doesn't feel like they do. You know, it is a little upsetting to hear that, you know, because, you know, everyone's trying to thrive. Everyone's trying to, you know, make business. You know, it is pretty slow as it is. In a recent crime report released examining the city car thefts, robberies, burglaries and even homicides all went up in 2023. This, as many bigger cities are actually seeing crime decline. Now there's an effort underway to recall Alameda County's relatively new district attorney, Pam Price, with family members of victims of crime leading the way, as well as one to recall the mayor, Sheng Tao, led by retired Alameda County judge Brenda Harbin-Forte. If we did not have the businesses shutting down as we, as we have, have been, if we had not missed the deadline to apply for a grant to deal with retail theft, if we hadn't had all of those things, I would not have anything at all to talk about. She also talked to KTVU earlier this month. There are others who live and work in Oakland who say they're trying to fight for the city. If you look deeper into the story, they've already been exiting Oakland. They've only left behind their flagship headquarters. Seneca Scott is the founder of the nonprofit Neighbors Together Oakland, and he informed us before the interview that he's hearing impaired. So they've already took a big chunk out of our local economy. A lot of those people who work at those satellite offices went to lunch and got coffee. Now those places that were close to those offices are closing down as well. So downtown Oakland is not safe anymore. 
if you compare it to 2018, when we went a summer without a murder and if you could not lease space downtown without paying an arm and a leg and a 10-year lease, uh, it's a complete night and day since the progressives have taken over and destroyed the city. What, when businesses say, you know, hey, that's not really fair, we are worried about making a living ourselves, um, and you're shutting us down too, do they have a point? I mean, t- talk to me about the climate for businesses in downtown, given what you just said about the, the crime. I mean, this is downtown. Oakland is a very small city. We call it the town, right? Hmm. Downtown ain't that big. Uh, we're a city of under a half a million people. So it's not just the downtown businesses, but throughout the city, people are having a problem making ends meet and businesses are failing and people are dying because of our felt policies. Here's what I have to say about that. Cities are places of commerce. You name a city and I'll name the trade it was founded on. And that goes back to continuity of human history as we know it. They're places of separation of labor. They're the only places where working people can come, have their own ideas and ingenuity, and create wealth. And in America, not only can you create that wealth, but you used to be able to keep it. But they're trying to change the rules on us. And one of the rules that they're changing is that cities no longer feel that they have to protect local businesses or that they have to provide the appropriate support and the appropriate climate for commerce to take place. So when you have things like three and a half years of eviction moratorium, which is essentially legalized theft of your largest financial bill for most people, when you can sell 750, I mean, 900 bucks or a thousand bucks a pop, and that's legalized theft, what you're telling people is you're not going to support commerce. Matter of fact, you're going to attack commerce because the larger companies that the oligarchs run are waiting to swoop in and take the remaining. There's an old saying, when there's blood on the street, the sharks eat. We're open this bloody place right now, and we have a lot of large businesses ready to swoop in and buy our failed businesses and our foreclosed homes because the city has not protected us. This is a city that's been through a lot, especially recently, such to the extent that there's a recall effort for Alameda County's DA. There's another effort. I'm, I'm not sure how well developed it is yet, but it's to recall the mayor. If I'm reading this properly, it's been nearly a full year without a police chief? Yes. The very first thing that Mayor Tao did was she fired uh, a very successful police chief who, who himself had only been there a year and a half. I'll add that former OPD chief Laron Armstrong had made more strides, and this is documented, than any other previous police chief in the past 20 years to get Oakland off of federal oversight. So I don't know if you know that, but Oakland's police department has been under federal oversight for 20 years, and we pay that oversight a total of currently, a total of $1 million per year to basically um, trustee our police department. And so finally, Leron Armstrong and the previous police commission that includes the recall's lead proponent, former Alameda County Superior Court Judge Brenda Harbin Forte, Mm-hmm. who the mayor removed from the commission because she was on her butt about her clandestine and uh, unscrupulous and dishonest ways. She fired him because she didn't want to get off of that NSA. She wanted to appoint her own chief and take credit for that. It's really, really disgusting. 
the first thing that you do is fire someone who's not only doing a great job, but is from the city of Oakland, who is beloved. I mean, I've got videos of literally corner guys who sit in the corner and trap and sell drugs telling you, I like Chief Armstrong, right? If the game is the game, but at least it keeps my mom safe and Oakland is a better place because we have someone we can trust who's one of us. So what <laughs> happened to those progressive values when you have a black police chief? Then you have this lady who comes from Stockton, California, who's not from Oakland, who raises over 60% of her money outside the city of Oakland, who's herself under current multiple public ethics investigation, who's the subject of a lawsuit that she cheated and lied to file for mayor on time that no one's talking about because the local media covers for these people because they're all in bed together. And then she fires him. So yes, um, it, it is a big deal. And it's one of the main reasons why she's being recalled. Wow. Um, Seneca, thanks for, you're obviously very read in to your city. Um, talk to me about this then, the California Partnership for Safe Communities. I guess they did this audit and concluded that city leaders had abandoned this program called Ceasefire. I guess the, if you look at the graphs, it, it appeared to be working to some extent, this program. Um, the supporters cite that you know there were fewer shootings after 2013 for the next like five or six years. This audit was given to the city council. Do you, did you think that, that Ceasefire did work? Or, or no, it, so is too much credit being audit. given to this? They audited yeah, themselves. They audited okay. themselves. Who gets to audit themselves? So the audit was a stunt for the current mayor to cover to say that she had some sort of plan to buy her more time. Ceasefire was abandoned because of defund the police that she herself helped preside over. So the whole ceasefire thing is basically cover for her to act like she has the plan and, and to bring something back. Also, here's the thing about ceasefire. It has nothing to do with retail theft. Ceasefire was exclusively right. about the, the, the murders between young black men. That's nothing to do with this new emerging car theft, Oakland leading the nation in stolen cars. One out of 30 people had their cars stolen in the city of Oakland in 2023. One out of 30, 15,000 stolen cars, the nationwide leader. We have people stealing vehicles and driving them through stores, but on a nightly basis. Ceasefire dealt with none of these issues. What's her issue? What is the plan to deal with that? Another thing is ceasefire was the multi-generational link between young people and older people, basically the OGs who understood and had some connection and equity with these younger people. That's not the case in the streets anymore. So if you understand the way the streets are really working, there's no equity with young people anymore. We failed our youth so much. We've created child soldiers. They're barely literate. They have access to extremely powerful firearms that they're not getting legally. They're making them like Legos and ghost guns. So gun control is out the window the way that the Dems think it will work. It makes no sense. And if, I'm not blaming the children. They are accountable. These are young adults. And if they're committing violent crimes, they need to be held accountable. But why are they committing violent crimes? Because we failed them. We failed them in Oakland. Our progressive or so-called progressive policies had failed these children. Oakland was, was enjoying record literacy rates in 2016. You should look this up. 2016, record literacy rates. Every year, Oakland's winning awards for kids reading better than any other kids in the state. And then the progressive took over and they decided that phonics was racist. Phonics was racist. Fast forward to 2024, we've got the worst literacy rates in the entire state, 
Less than 20% of our children are living that great level. This is the direct responsibility of the phony progressive and their luxury politics to have nothing to do with working class people and traditional American values. Tell me about you, um, because you, you've, you've spent some part of this interview um, criticizing progressives. But I see on, on X or Twitter, um, you call yourself a, a post-partisan solutionary. What is that? What do you want to have happen given your viewpoint of your city that you're fighting for? Well, I'll start by saying I say phony progressives and I always put progressives in air quotes or give it a qualifier because they're not progressive at all. They don't care about progress. They're overseeing the managed decline of our city uh, on behalf of the puppet masters and these tech companies and oligarchies that flip their nonprofit with basically unlimited funds. But more about me, which I don't like to talk about that much because <laughs> who talks about themselves? I like to talk about ideas. But postpartisan solutionary means that I don't do the left-right paradigm anymore. We have to go up-down right now. Either you have integrity and leadership and good ideas, or you don't. And the reason I say that is that the left and the right used to be about the size and the role of government. It had nothing to do with religion or gun rights or abortion. This isn't about left-right anymore. I would consider that a up-down argument, either you have integrity or you don't. So we need to start having a different type of discussion about what's best for our society and our children who we're not creating a good world for them to grow up in right now. And that responsibility lies on us adults. I haven't heard anybody say, instead of going left, right, let's go up, down. I find that really interesting. Seneca Scott, the founder of Neighbors Together Oakland. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9, with available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults, with zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute, and available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table, the Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. This is Arnon Mishkin with your Fox News commentary coming up. For years, technology has helped the severely disabled. Remember to look up at the stars and not down at your feet. Famous scientist Stephen Hawking was able to communicate using a computer, despite being paralyzed from ALS, telling people at the University of Cambridge in 2012, six years before his death. However difficult life may seem, there is always something you can do and succeed at. The technology keeps advancing. One of Elon Musk's companies, Neuralink, has a brain implant called telepathy. If you've been living with quadriplegia from a spinal cord injury or with ALS, you may qualify for the prime study. Telling them in a promotional video posted on X last year, your courage and contribution could significantly shape the future of interaction and independence, not just for you, but for countless others. And despite some lawmakers in Congress asking the U.S. government to investigate reported negative effects on monkeys during animal trials, Neuralink 
has moved forward. The big advance is they implanted it in a human for the first time. Rolf Winkler is a digital health reporter for the Wall Street Journal. And that human appears to be recovering well. We know very little. We know what Elon has tweeted, but he has said we did uh, our, our first human implant and that patient is doing well a day late, day after the surgery. And that's a big step for the technology. So when they say doing well, what are they looking for? What actually, let's back up, what was actually implanted? So Neuralink makes, um, imagine a quarter-sized microchip. Okay. That has a few dozen threads attached to it that are thinner than human hairs. And what they do is they carve out a chunk of your skull, about the size of a quarter, and they replace it with this chip. And they have a special robot that inserts those threads into your brain, into your motor cortex, so that it can pick up electrical signals from individual neurons. All right. Is this, this is a specific place in the brain then? Yes. The idea is we want to pick up what signals those neurons are when they're firing. Uh, the idea being we want to understand your intentions, right? So the first people that technology like this will be applicable for, um, if it works, there are a lot of steps from here to there, is understanding intention. Do we know that this person who cannot move their arms and legs, maybe can't speak, has the intention to think a certain word or to has the intention to move their left arm? Or if we can understand those outputs coming from the brain, Normally, your brain, you know, I don't, I don't think, I just move my left hand. Right. Correct. Think about it. I just move it because I'm not paralyzed. Right. Imagine if you are paralyzed, you can't do that. Uh, there are devices today that there are implants that can help you do that kind of thing, um, but not quickly, uh, not easily. And these, so th there, there's an idea that we can advance this technology to give additional function to people who are paralyzed. Okay. So, would it actually let the person move the arm or just allow the person to do a task they would do if they could move their arm? More the latter. In theory, later on, they've, they've shown videos of suggesting, okay, we're going to try to restore movement uh, with these chips. But for right now, we're talking about moving a cursor, okay. moving, moving a mouse cursor, um, uh, that kind of idea with your brain, with your thoughts. Okay, so this would be it would be hooked up to say a computer, and you want the the mouse, the cursor to move a certain way. You think it, and it does it. Correct. You want to think a letter or a word to communicate that word. It appears on screen. Okay. All right. These are ideas for what what we're what they're trying to accomplish early on. It's much different if you want to move the arm itself, because a lot of these people who have, may not have moved for a long time, there's muscle muscle atrophy. There's a lot. There's a lot of there's another barrier there. We don't. Oh my gosh, we don't have enough time to talk about the real challenges. You know, when you have a severed spinal cord, uh, for instance. I mean, this is. Way, 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 way down the road. That's not something that anyone's talking about right but, now. Uh, but obviously people who have that, you know, disability, the concept here, I mean, th there's got to be a lot of hope for these people. Sure. I think they like the idea that one day they could regain function. Now, what's crazy is that when you think about this company, Elon 
you know, with SpaceX, he wants to go to Mars. With Neuralink, his idea is similarly far-fetched, and that is he wants to enable healthy people to keep up with artificial intelligence as it advances. <laughs> he describes people as, you know, you're a de facto cyborg in that, you know, your phone is an extension of yourself. You've outsourced a lot of your brain activity to your phone, and your ability to interact with your device is limited by how fast you can type with your thumbs. His theory is, well, if you could increase the data rate, your ability to communicate with your computer, well, then you can keep up with artificial intelligence so that as it advances, so too does the human race. He, now, he, he wants one crazy, for himself, right? right? Isn't that? He wants one for, he wants to, he wants one, you know, theoretically for himself, for healthy people. Now that is so far away. Uh, and there are so many technical steps that safety protocols and things that, I mean, this is years and years and years uh, for that to be even possible. But, you know, that's the dream. We have this one patient who they're monitoring. How far along are they going to go until they have another, more patients? How long does the trial last? We don't know. There's a lot they haven't disclosed about uh, the trial. But what, what I can say is there are a whole bunch of steps to get from here to more patients. First, we need to determine the safety profile over a period of time, right? So this patient is recovering well a day or two after surgery. How well is the implant, how well is their body receiving this implant months later, years later? You know, the brain tissue could overgrow these little threads that are inside it and degrade the signals, you know, degrade their ability to read neurons. Yeah, because I move away from the threads. We won't right? know that until it's. It we, takes years to determine yeah. if this can work for years. You have to wait and watch. Um, uh, we can say that they're, the fact that they got this into a human means they've been in conversations with the FDA and they've gotten the FDA comfortable with the idea of installing this device in a human brain, which is already uh, a good big milestone. Um, that said, you know, from here, we need to know safety. Is it safe? We need to know, does it work? What are the signals that it picks up inside a brain? Are those signals useful? Once you are the, and, and once, if you have useful signals, can you do anything with them? Can you actually restore function that, that would be useful to a person? Because remember, whatever you're able to do with this device, it has to be so good or so much better than existing technology that people want to get brain surgery for it. Yeah, that is right. Yeah, that's Bar a, is hot. right. Right. I mean, that's yeah, that is a little bit. Uh, I didn't thought about it, but that is you don't think of uh, just you know some kind of cosmetic surgery to be something put in your brain. Exactly, elective surgery for healthy people is so 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 far away. Surgery for uh, paralyzed people. I mean, look, a lot of people who are paralyzed who suffer today will want to jump at this for sure, um, but. Before they can do that, Neuralink needs to demonstrate that it's worth the risk, that there's something that they can give them. Now, you cover digital health, of course. You cover this space. There are other companies that have brain implants, right? There are. You know, something like this has been possible for years. Uh, there's a company called BlackRock Neurotech that has something called the Utah Array that has been in, it, it, you know, put in brains for years. Now, 
its capabilities are limited to what Neuralink hopes to accomplish in the future. But nevertheless, they have demonstrated what they put in, um, which can help people move a robot arm, which can, you know, which enable, could enable them to feed themselves. They've shown that they could do this. Neuralink has to prove that they're better. And they want to take it to beyond just helping people with those disabilities. As I mentioned, they want to, you know, Elon's upfront about this. I want to turn you into a human cyborg that can compete with and keep up with artificial intelligence as it advances. He has all these companies, whether it's Tesla, SpaceX, the boring company. He's got Neuralink. Which which of these do you think he's and even X and Twitter? You forgot, you forgot that other one. Yeah, Twitter. Twitter. Well, X now. He seems to be occupied with. A yeah, lot but he days. spent a lot of time on X trying to keep that going and change it and, and and get past what it used to be. What of these companies do you find he has the most passion about? I mean, this goes right to artificial intelligence. Would it be this? Oh, it's hard to say. You know, I I, I couldn't even hazard a guess. I think it's it's easy to say he's pretty fired up about all of them. Um, How does he find enough uh, hours in the day to do all this? You know, your your guess is as good as mine. <laughs> <laughs> I think he has good people. I think in a lot of these companies, you know, at SpaceX, he's got Gwen Shotwell, and Gwen Shotwell is as good as an executive as you have in corporate America running that company. So I think it, he's got to have some really great people to help to help run these companies. And so Neuralink, we just have to wait to see what he's posts next, right? I mean, he has a pretty good lid, it seems like, on the information. Yeah, I think the next thing we can expect would be some sort of demonstration. Who is the patient, right? They'll show video. They'll, they'll you know, we'll see um, who the patient is and how they're recovering and presumably what the company was able to accomplish with this implant in this patient. They will have selected. There are a lot of people that want to be guinea pigs for this, right? They will have selected, you know, my guess is somebody younger who would respond well to surgery, who may have suffered in a horrible accident um, and is quadriplegic. Uh, we're going to see that person perform with their implant, presumably. That's something for, for people to look for. Well, that will certainly be fascinating. Rolf Winkler covers digital health for the Wall Street Journal based in San Francisco. Thanks so much for joining us. We appreciate the insight. Thank you for having me. And in other news. I'm Gianna Gelosi. The U.S. and England have a long history involving tea. Remember the Boston Tea Party? Well, an American scientist has sparked a transatlantic tempest in a teapot by offering Britain advice on its favorite hot beverage. Bryn Mawr College chemistry professor Michelle Frankel says one of the keys to a perfect cup of tea is a pinch of salt. She included that tip in her book, Steeped the Chemistry of Tea, and it was met with boiling reaction across the pond, first on social media, with Britain saying Americans are more coffee people who make tea, if at all, in a microwave. The U.S. Embassy in London had to step in with a social media post reassuring, quote, the good people of the U.K. that the unthinkable notion of adding salt to Britain's national drink is not a United States policy. The book, however, is the product of three years of research and experimentation, exploring more than 100 chemical compounds found in tea to best advise on how to make the best cup. Frankel argues a small amount of salt, not enough to taste, makes tea seem less bitter because sodium ions in the salt block bitter receptors in our mouths. For the Fox News Rundown, I'm Gianna Gelosi. 
I'm Dana Perino. Join me for my brand new podcast, Perino on Politics. As we analyze the 2024 election cycle, make sure you subscribe to this series on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts and leave me a rating and review. Subscribe to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Arnon Michigan. What's on your mind? There are no second acts in American public life, but there are reruns. So this year, like it or not, American voters seem faced with a November choice between former President Donald Trump and current President Joe Biden. More than just allowing debate moderators to address each opponent as Mr. President, this would be the first election in over 100 years in which both major parties nominated candidates who had actual experience in the White House. This will likely dramatically affect the way each conducts their campaign. First, a trip down memory lane or history lane. In 1892, former President Grover Cleveland, a Democrat, ran against Benjamin Harrison, the Republican president, who had defeated him in the election of 1888. In 1888, even though Cleveland had successfully appointed a large number of judges to the courts, he was hampered by his unpopular effort to reduce tariffs designed to protect U.S. manufacturing. Despite winning the popular vote, the tariff issue caused him to lose several important manufacturing states, and that cost him the vote in the Electoral College. In 1892, however, the tariff issue worked against Harrison, the incumbent president, as voters were tired of paying more for imported goods, and he was seen as being too supportive of big business. Yes, in American politics, the names and the dates change. The issues remain the same. The last election in 2020 was a classic referendum election. Donald Trump, the incumbent, was running in the midst of the COVID pandemic against, let's face it, a plain vanilla former senator and former vice president. It was an election that the incumbent, despite all the baggage acquired before and during the pandemic, came very close to winning. Fast forward four years, and we have two actual incumbents with track records that the vast majority of likely voters have observed in real time. Views of the first incumbent, Trump, are firmly held. While Democrats want voters to remember the economic trough brought on by COVID, almost all Republicans have favorable memories of the Trump era. A recent YouGov CBS News poll asked Trump supporters, roughly half of the electorate, why they were supporting him. Fully 97 percent, essentially everyone, said things were just better under Trump. In other words, essentially all Trump supporters view his presidency as just plain better. The second 2024 incumbent is Joe Biden. He's not been as fortunate. A year ago, we posited that Biden's first re-election efforts depended less on his, let's face it, lackluster polling than on how things would turn out on four hot issues, the economy, efforts to counter the global impact of China, the war in Ukraine, and the Middle East. Biden's fingerprints are all over each of those four, and the public is going to judge Biden based on how they look in the fall just before the election. The difficulty for Biden right now is that all four areas remain challenging, both in reality as well in public perception. Yes, inflation is down from the 2021 highs, but prices at the gas pump remain higher than they were when Donald Trump was in office. Yes, Biden coaxed Congress to help U.S. companies invest in high-tech chips, but China still seems to be making inroads in the global economy and continues to be a threat to Taiwan. Each candidate needs to focus less on campaigning against the other as highlighting and defending their own records for their likely supporters. But the unknown unknowns remain. Maybe they improve for Biden, but maybe they do not. If they do improve, Biden could become one of the least expected two-term presidents of all time. Or they could turn south, and he could become this century's Benjamin Harrison. 
I'm Arnon Mishkin, and I lead the Fox News Election Decision Desk. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com.